Crazy to be with you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. And especially if you're new, I want to welcome you, whether it's here in our worship center or over our Ridge venue. I'm excited to have you here. We're going to go into our time of teaching uh, in just a minute. And uh, excited about that water initiative coming up. I know that a lot of you aren't, but uh, we just every, you know, last year we raised $70,000 to do water wells. And we are approaching 100 water wells somewhere, I came in the 80s or 90s, whatever, that we have now done the last few years, many years we've been doing this, so uh, it's an exciting time. But we're going to be going through our time of teaching right now. So inside your program is a message note. It's green and white. You want to pull that out. I'm going to be shorter today, so we're starting with a miracle. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> it's going to prepare us for baptisms later on. So let's, uh, let's pray together. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're excited to be here your house, your place, your space, um, under your leadership. And we just want to run hard after you. We want you to speak loud and clear. Uh, We pray that you'd prepare our hearts to receive whatever your Holy Spirit wants to say today as we come and celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us to participate through that in baptism. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said... And uh, well, our story starts today on a cool uh, spring morning. It's, uh, it's still crisp out. The sun is coming up. And uh, the sun is just starting to rise as they're heading out into the busy, uh, the, busy the, the streets of the city that will soon be busy, but are still pretty sparse at this point. And uh, to be honest, uh, they have not seen this coming. They never would have guessed a week or two ago when they came into the city that they'd be returning back to where they'd come from so quickly. In fact, they thought they would have been here a long time, but something has happened, something has changed, and their whole lives have been turned upside down, and so now they're heading back, a long journey. It's going to take them four, five, six, seven days, depending on the speed at which they travel, the obstacles they encounter. And, uh, and like I said, uh, no one saw this coming, and it's a wide range of emotion. And all they know, the instructions they have, is they are to go back to this particular mountain. It's as general as that. Those are their instructions. What's going to happen when they arrive at this mysterious mountain? We don't know. They don't know. But as they're traveling along, it's been four or five days, or the the ground is starting to look familiar. The hills, the, the mountains around them, the streams, the rivers... The fields, the roads themselves are beginning to become familiar. And tonight is their last night on the road. Tonight, they'll be setting up camp for their last time. Tomorrow, they'll be arriving at their destination, not knowing what to expect. And so as they sit around the campfire tonight, each of them in a sense is in his own world. But they're also from time to time as they look into the fire, reflecting back. The journey they've been on, not just the last week, but the last few months, the last few years. And to a man, they have mixed emotions. Excitement, joy on one hand, fear, apprehension on the other, some confusion, and wondering what tomorrow will bring. Well, today is a very special week at Rocky Peak. Um, We, for those of you who are new, we just finished a 10-week series that was called Loving People, Doing Relationships a Whole New Way. 
Uh, and next week, we're kicking off a new series, much shorter series, three-week series called Seasons, which is going to be a study in Psalm, the Old Testament book of Psalms. And so we stand here today uh, between the series. And I want to uh, bring a message today called The Great Divide. And this message is really designed to prepare us for baptisms later, but also to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so there in your note sheet, if you open it up, there's a section that's called Baptism, The Great Divide. And what I want to do today is I want to make three simple statements about baptism that, like I say, will not only prepare us for baptism later on, but really go to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to soon jump in. Number one, the first thing I want to focus on today, first thing I want to say is that baptism is an initiation rite. Okay? Um, so, for example, that we understand initiation rites. If you join a sorority, a fraternity, uh, certain clubs, uh, there are certain rites of entrance you have to go through to become a part of that uh, community. Uh, in our culture, uh, weddings are an initiation rite. That when you uh, go through a wedding, it initiates you into a new relationship that didn't exist in the same way as before the wedding. And in a similar way, baptism initiates our relationship uh, into a new relationship with Jesus uh, and his community. And so you see this as you study the New Testament, as you study the life of Jesus' teaching. Uh, for example, let's start with the story we started the day with. We started the day with a story of these men who are coming out uh, in the midst of a city early on a brisk spring morning, heading back to a place they thought it would be much longer before they ever returned, not knowing what they're going to expect, coming with both excitement and anticipation, but some fear and apprehension. And this is a story from the life of Jesus and his first followers. And so if you remember, Jesus was executed on a Friday, and none of his followers saw this coming. In fact, they really thought the reason they were going to Jerusalem he was about to initiate his big kingdom move. He was about to launch his campaign to be the Messiah, to kind of unleash his power that had raised the dead on Rome and usher in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus was arrested and then executed, none of them saw this coming and they're completely devastated. And then they were shocked beyond belief when that Sunday night, he shows up when they're hiding behind locked doors. They never saw that coming. And after he convinced them that no, it's really him, it's not a ghost, it's not a vision, it's like it's really him, he's got his new, ver new body, 2.0. Uh, after, after clearing that, Jesus, uh, that, either that night or later, we're not sure exact chronology of this, but at some point after that initial meeting, Jesus tells them to leave Jerusalem and go back where they all came from, up to the north of the country from the Galilee. Now this is about 85 miles away. So it would take anywhere between maybe four and seven days, depending on your speed. And so this is where we pick up their story, that they're leaving on that spring morning. It's probably a week or two, we're not sure exactly when, after the resurrection, so it's in the spring. And uh, they're heading back this 85-mile trip. And along the way, I'm sure they're going to have a lot of time to reflect and talk about what is going on, what's happened, not just the last week, but the last three years. And what does this mean for our future? And on the one hand, I'm sure they're really excited. Jesus is alive, blown away. No paradigm for that. But on the other hand, what does this mean? The future is not going to be anything like we thought. What does this all mean? So there's uncertainty, perhaps some fear. And the only thing Jesus told them was go north and go to this mountain. Now, 
We don't know uh, which mountain this was. It's not specified. They obviously knew. But think how mysterious this is. Travel north, go to this mountain, we'll rendezvous there. And so that's what they do. And so the story picks up there on your note sheet in Matthew 28. This is how Matthew ends his gospel. He says, so the 11 disciples, remember there were originally 12, but Judas had betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide, so they're down to 11. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee up in the north uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw them, they worshiped him. And then Jesus came. So he rendezvous, he keeps his promise, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So don't miss that. What he's saying by, as a result of his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has now been crowned king of the cosmos. Jesus is now in charge of all creation. And he says, as king, as one of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is my command as I'm, uh, this is my instructions as I'm pretending to, uh, or uh, getting ready to leave. So he says, there, he says so uh, therefore go and make what? He had disciples. So a disciple is a follower, right? A student, an apprentice, a follower. Go and make disciples of all nations. And here's how you do that. What's the first step? Baptizing them, right? So what we're going to see today is baptism is the initiation right that we go through to become a follower of Jesus and to become part of his movement. So he says, this is why you make disciples. When someone comes to a place where they're convinced I'm who I claim to be, they believe in my life and death and resurrection and what it means for the forgiveness of sins. When they come to that place, they're ready to come under my leadership as king of the cosmos. When that happens, here's how you make a disciple. The first step is to what? baptize them. It is the initiation right into Jesus and his movement. He says, and then after you do that, we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And he said, then after we do that, we're going to teach him to obey most of what I've commanded you. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, we're going to teach him to obey every command that makes sense to them. Wait, wait. Um, we're going to command them to obey everything that's politically correct. Oh, wait, wait. That's, I'm reading from my heresy Bible again. Uh, we're going to teach them to obey what? Everything that I command. So how do you become a disciple of Jesus? You get baptized. And what is a disciple of Jesus? Someone who's learning how to obey everything he taught us to do, right? And so this is what you see in the early church, in the movement of Jesus, in the teaching of Jesus. Baptism is the initiation right to become a follower of Jesus, to become part of his movement and part of his new community. And what you'll see as you go through the New Testament then, um, as, this, as we begin to uh, follow this, is that as, as we move in the early life of the early church, this is exactly what the early church does. For example, let me give you two or three examples. As we move, move into the book of Acts, so the book of Acts was written by a doctor named Luke. He was an early Christ follower who documented the movement of Jesus. As we move into Acts, uh, one of the first things that happens in chapter 2, Jesus has just left, right? So after his resurrection, he's there for about a month and a half, showing up and leaving for 40 days. And then he goes to return to his, his father to be king over creation and to rule creation. And uh, about 10 days after he leaves, 
His disciples are in Jerusalem. He told them, don't stay until the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to change, to grow, to follow me, to be transformed, and to take the message around the world. And so he said, wait for that. So 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And on that day, Peter, the apostle Peter, for the very first time, gets up in Jerusalem and he uh, he, he speaks publicly on the life, the death, the resurrection, just what it means. And when the crowds hear this, they're blown away. Remember, Jesus has just been crucified less than two months before, and a lot of them were calling for his death. When they realize the mistake, they're like, what do we need to do? And he says, you know, to, to, uh, to get right with, with God. He says, well, um, there in your note sheet, in Acts chapter 2, he says, well, the first thing you need to do is what? Repent, right? Now, that's one of those biblical words that we can lose sight of, but in the Greek at the time, it's not necessarily a spiritual word at all. To repent just means to change your mind. To repent, it literally means in the Greek to think something different or to think against. In other words, you used to think this is right, now we think this is right. And so in spiritual context, to repent means to do a spiritual U-turn. I was heading this direction, living for myself uh, and not following God, not following Jesus. And now to repent means to turn back and I'm on the wrong road, do a spiritual U-turn, and I'm going to begin to follow Jesus and come under his authority as a king. So he says, the first thing is repent. And the second thing is what? Be baptized, you, uh, most of you. Uh, Those of you who feel so led. Um, those of you who have the courage to do it, those of you who don't mind getting your hair wet, (laughs) he says, be baptized, what? Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so one of the things that baptism symbolizes is like a spiritual bath where we wash away our sins, And he says, and if you do that, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you come to Jesus, we're not only forgiven, we enter in this new relationship with God, we receive the gift of his Spirit who comes to live in us, bring the presence of Jesus into our life, give us the power to listen and follow him, to be transformed and to share Jesus with others. And so you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. And he says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that. So 3,000 baptisms, right? For the 12 disciples, that's, uh, that's a lot. That's like however many it is. Um, anyway, <laughs> do the math. You know, just calculate. Uh, it's interesting because you know, we're going to Israel uh, later today. I'm going to Israel later today. I'll talk about it more later. Um, yeah, it's exciting about that. I'll tell you about that. But when we go to Jerusalem, we go to the old temple, the temple uh, complex, we walk up by Solomon steps that are still original steps. Uh, there are all these what's called mikvahs there that are these, these places you, like stone areas. You walk down in the water, then you walk out of the water. It was for ceremonial cleansing before you went to the temple. And there's all, they're all over, a whole bunch of them. And uh, many scholars believe that when these 3,000 were baptized, this is where it happened on those mikvahs. And so uh, anyway... So uh, notice what happened. Notice what happens when the 3,000, these 3,000 men come to Jesus. Notice what happens. They, they say, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be bad. And then notice what doesn't happen. He doesn't say, I, am going, I want you to walk the aisle to the front here. 
and we're going to pray a sinner's prayer. Notice what he doesn't say. If you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see another hand. Yes, praise God. See another hand. Uh, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, all right, okay, so let's bow our heads and repeat after me. Notice what he doesn't say. Open your program and inside there's a connect card. What he says, if you want to follow Jesus, what do you do? You get baptized. It's an initiation right into Jesus and his movement. Now, once you, once you see this in Acts 2, you begin to see this pattern throughout the, throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, the concept of an unbaptized believer would be an oxymoron. There were no unbaptized believers. Um, and what you see uh, in the New Testament is that this initiation rite was so important that you weren't really considered a believer if you hadn't been baptized. And this is why in the book of Acts, when anyone comes to Jesus, they're immediately baptized, even if it's extreme circumstances and very unusual uh, or very uh, awkward. So for example, you're in the desert, there's not much water. Or it's in the, you come to Jesus in the middle of the night and you're not, you know, 30. <laughs> uh, that this was what will happen is that you'll be baptized. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a couple examples. In Acts chapter um, 8, we have the account of one of the great leaders of the early church named Philip, and the Holy Spirit leads him to go and meet this man who's a high a government official. He's an African, so he's a black man. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's headed back with his entourage to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit says, go share Jesus with him. And so he does. And, uh, and he shares Jesus via uh, Isaiah 53. And uh, this man comes to believe in Jesus. And so they're in the middle of the wilderness, right? Uh, and so kept, catch that thing. They're in the middle of the wilderness. There's not much water there. And so this is what it says in Acts 8. As they traveled along the road, they, uh, they came to some water, and this eunuch, he was the official, said, hey, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Do you see his mindset? His mind says, like, you've been explaining this. I believe it. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. So, like, what's keeping me from being baptized? Like, here's the first water. Like, let's go for it. And I... Uh, so Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Or you look later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul and Silas are arrested for sharing Jesus, beaten, thrown in prison. In the middle of the night, through a supernatural work of God, they're released and their jailer comes to him and says, well, what do I need to do to be saved by this God of yours? And they, he takes him to his house. And when they get to his house, uh, Paul says, well, let me share. But, you know, and the guy says, well, wait, let me wake up my family. I don't want anyone to miss this, you know. So they're going throughout that. And so their household's going to take in their family, uh, probably extended relatives, very likely, uh, probably household servants, slaves. I mean, everyone's getting woken up. You know, what's going on? What's going on? It's the middle of three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to get saved. Let's go. And so they all come together. And Paul shares a message of Jesus, and they come to Jesus in the middle of the night. But catch what happens. At that hour of the night, middle of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, that's Paul and Silas, and then immediately he and all their family were what? <laughs> Baptized. So what this helps you, in the early church, 
that to, uh, to become a follower of Jesus, this is how you did it. You got baptized. Now, when you read these kinds of accounts, it raises a very good question, which is, well, does the Bible teach that you have to be baptized to be saved? And I think the answer is no. I think that as, you, as you look at the whole teaching of Scripture, probably the answer would be no. But here's what I want you to see. In the early church, that would seem like the weirdest question. Like in the early church, no one would ask that question. No one would say, hey, do I need to get baptized to be saved? That would be like saying, uh, do I need to have a wedding to get married? <laughs> like imagine some couple comes to me and says, we'd like you to do our wedding. Um, and I say, great, you know, so let's walk through the service. And we get to the part of the ring ceremony. And it's like, so who's going to have your rings? And they're like, oh, we're not doing rings. You're not doing rings? Really? Why, why aren't you in rings? Yeah, we just don't like them. We think they're expensive. Um, <laughs> that we don't want to look married. You know, it's, um, <laughs> and uh, it just feels like kind of an odd commitment. And um, so we're not doing rings. So I'm like, no rings. I'm like, yeah, no rings. Right? Do we have to have a ring to be married? Well, let me think about it. No, I guess not. As long as we do the wedding license, I guess we'll be married. Oh, good. Great. But how odd would that be? How odd would that be to go to a wedding and have no rings in our culture? Right? That would be the weirdest thing. And so who in their right mind would say, hey, well, do I have to have rings? And of course, you want to have a ring. Like, this is how it happens, right? And so for the early church, there were no unbaptized believers. Faith, repentance, baptism, part of a package deal, all happens the same thing. It's how you said I do to Jesus, right? All right, number two. The second principle is that baptism is the great divide. It's what separates your old life from your new life. It's what creates the ADBC uh, division in your life. It's interesting, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul compares baptism for the believer to the experience of the nation of Israel crossing the Red Sea in the Old Testament. So if you remember, when the nation of Israel was in Egypt, and they were enslaved to Pharaoh, and Moses comes and they're set free, but you remember after they're set free by the blood of the Lamb, the Passover night, that they're traveling, and Pharaoh's like, what am I doing? I'm letting all my slaves go. So he comes after them with his armies. You remember that? And it's this big crisis. And the Israel comes to the Red Sea. And so then God does this miracle and splits the Red Sea, which protects Israel. It's like as they go through this great divide of the Red Sea. They, they go through the split of the waters. That They are protected. But the next morning when Pharaoh and his army tries to come, they're destroyed. So going through the Red Sea was like this divide that separated their life into their life of slavery before their life of freedom now. It was the great divide. And what in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, is that for us as believers, baptism is the great divide. It's when we pass through the waters, it's what separates our old life from our new life. In fact, there in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul puts it like this. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, the Jews coming out of Egypt, and all of them were guided by the cloud that moved ahead of them. You remember that, the cloud of God's presence that guided them. 
And all of them walked through the sea, the Red Sea, on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were what? Baptized as followers of Moses. He says, so, so they, there was the Passover, the sacrifice that allowed them to leave, and then they walked through the Red Sea, which was like their baptism, that separated their old life from their new life, their old life of, of, of slavery from their new life of freedom by going through the waters. And Paul says, that's like for us. For us, that baptism is the great divide. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, there's a, a fascinating passage where the Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Rome. And in the early movement of Jesus, this concept that we are saved made right with God, not by our performance, our spiritual resume, but by Christ's performance, his death for us on the cross, that this was a controversial idea in, in the first century. And so there were many people that were criticized the gospel and said, hey, wait a second. If what you're saying is that we're not saved by our performance, but by Jesus' performance, why didn't I keep on sinning after I come to Jesus? And that would make God's grace look even bigger and got to get all the glory. And Paul says uh, in the Greek, hello. <laughs> uh, he said, he said that is the way Paul says this. He, whenever you, you read this in your New Testament from Paul, he says, uh, do you not know? Which kind of means like, are you an idiot? <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like, that is so lame. He says, don't you realize that when you serve sin, Sin is destructive. Sin is addictive. Sin is self-absorbed. Sin ruins your life. Like the reason we don't do sin is not because we're breaking rules, but because it's destructive. The whole reason Jesus came was to die for you so that you could die with him to your old life and rise with him to a new life, the life you're created to live by the power of the Spirit. He says that's what baptism is. Baptism, when you're baptized, it's, it's the great divide. You go into the water as your old person, and there you're connected organically with Jesus. You become part of Jesus, and you share with him through the power of his spirit. You share his death to sin and your life and your new life in the spirit. So you die, you're buried with him to your old life, so you can rise with him through the power of God to a new life. And so Paul says, this is what baptism is about. Well, when someone is baptized, what they're saying is, Jesus, I am sick of being me. <laughs> like, have you ever come to that place in your life, you're sick of being you? You're like, I have the best of intentions, but I don't have the power to carry it out. There's something within me, it's this magnetic pull to the dark side of self-absorption, of what's destructive and evil, and I want to be different, but I can't. What would be really cool is if I could just die and start over like with a new nature. But the problem is if I kill myself, I'm dead. <laughs> like what would really be awesome is if someone could die for me and then rise for me and then take me with them and if I could get the effects of their death and resurrection. And Jesus says, I got a deal for you. <laughs> he says, come on in, the water is warm, right? So look what Paul says. He says in chapter three, he says, 
Um, I mean, chapter 6 of Romans on your note sheet. He says, don't you know, <clears throat> don't you know what's wrong with you? Uh, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, and notice what he's saying is not like some of us have been and some of us aren't. He's saying in the early church, everyone who's a Christian is baptized. That's like assumed. You'll see that other places today. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, notice that language, we're not just baptized in the name of, we are baptized into. There's an organic union that happens through the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul often uses this phrase. All the time he talks about how we're in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. Did you ever ask yourself the question, how did I get into him? Paul says, you are baptized into him. And he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, organically linked, so that his death and victory over sin becomes our power to overcome sin. We were therefore buried with him. And so this is what baptism symbolizes, right? We're we're dying with Christ. We're under the water. We're buried with him. And we rise out of the water to our new life. He says, so that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live what? A, a new life. So baptism for us is the great divide. It separates our life into the before and after, a life of slavery, a life of freedom, a life of sin, a life of power. Death, life, it happens in baptism. It's a great divide. Number three, baptism creates the new community. That what we learn is that when we come to Jesus, we don't just enter into a new relationship with Jesus, we enter into a relationship with everyone else who has a relationship with Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're connected with Jesus supernaturally through his Holy Spirit, and I am connected with Jesus and supernaturally connected by his Holy Spirit, we are connected together. That we have been organically connected. That Jesus came not just to create a new relation vertically with God, but horizontally with one another. So when you come to Jesus, you become not just a part of Jesus, but part of his community, the new humanity, this new race that will rule with him forever. And so the Apostle Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 3. Notice what he says. Galatians 3, he says, you are all what? Children of God. So notice the language. Children born of God. Um, DNA. God's DNA. You're all children of God through faith in Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah. Messiah Jesus. And all who have been united with the Messiah in what? So how do we get united with Messiah? In baptism. We put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So now there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for you all are what? One. So when we come to Jesus, you're connected to Jesus, I'm connected to Jesus, we're all become uh, one, and the old barriers that have 
separated our race from the very beginning. Think of some of them he mentions here. Uh, religious barriers, uh, socioeconomic barriers, slave or free, racial barriers, Jew, Gentile, um, uh, all these barriers, uh, even gender barriers, the war between men and women through the age, those things have been broken down so that Jesus came to create a new community, a community of the king that's a community who are doing relationships a whole new way. Like we've been learning for the last 10 weeks, a community of love, they can join with Jesus, not just to love one another, but to love those who don't yet know him, that we could begin to partner with Jesus to bring all of creation healed and restored until Jesus comes back to finish the job. Amen? So when you come to Jesus, when you're baptized, you are baptized into the new community of Jesus, and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when a person is, when we learn about baptism, baptism is an initiation right into Jesus and his movement. It is the great divide that separates our old life from our new, and it, 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 the baptism creates the new community. And this weekend, we have, I believe, it's, I think it's 26 people that are being baptized this weekend, amongst the three services. I believe there's uh, five or six this service. And so um, we're going to celebrate with them as they come and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus all weekend long. We've seen this different ages, different races, different stories, different religious background, but we're all coming under the authority of King Jesus saying, I want to leave my old life behind. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to repent, turn from my life. I want to come under his leadership. I want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to rise with him to a new life. Amen? Amen. So if you're here today to be baptized, just make your way down as we've told you how to do that. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to go into a time of worship right now as we prepare for that. And then I'll be right back out to interview these baptismal candidates. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that makes all things new. We thank you that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And we thank you, Lord, that today you will meet us in the waters of baptism, this great, this great divide that separates the old life from the new and allows us to rise with you to a new life and the new community relationship, not just with you, but with one another, where we live out this life of love you've called us to. We pray as we enter into worship, you'd meet us now as we affirm the great truths of our faith about who you are and what it means to be a follower. We pray this in your name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.